Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I love it that, that God doesn't show up and he doesn't say, hey, Jacob, um, listen, man, I'm sorry to tell you this, uh, but you've blown it and I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I find it fascinating. You can read through the entire Bible and you're not really going to see hardly any of those conversations ever happen where God has chosen individuals and he's going to use these individuals. And even though some of these individuals are absolutely, completely just as stubborn as can be, as prideful as can be, God will still use them and he never throws them away. God will never give up on you or come to a point where he's unwilling to use you. The moment you're willing to go to him, you'll be welcomed by him as though you were his long lost child. Pastor James teaches you today that nothing can separate you from God except for you. You alone get to decide whether or not you'll open your heart to Christ. Know that whatever horrid history you might have, no matter what bad things you've done, Jesus is always willing to forgive you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 35 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, The Prince of Preachers is what he was referred to as back in his day. But this is is in direct relation to Revelation chapter 2, the scripture reading that we we read. And I just want to read you what he said about it because it's just so good and it's it's a good way to kind of preface what we're going to talk about today. But he says this, we should always remember that um, that greatest of all hours the moment we first saw the Lord. We should all remember the greatest of all hours, the moment we first saw the Lord. Laid down our burden of sin, received his promise, rejoiced in our complete salvation, and went our way in peace. It was like springtime to our soul when winter, when winter was suddenly gone. We all know what that's like, where it's like the coldness is gone and the spring and new life, and it just it, there's a change that happens there. Have we kept this resolution, is what he says. How early love burn with a holy flame of devotion to Jesus, but does it burn as brightly today? Could Jesus say to us as well, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Regrettably, we have done very little for our master's glory. Our winter has lasted far too long, for we are, cold, we are as cold as ice when we should be feeling the summer glow and should be blooming with sacred flowers. We offer him pennies, when he deserves dollars. Even more, he deserves our heart's blood, which should be invested in the service of his church and his truth. How can we continue like this? Oh Lord, after you have so richly blessed us, forgive us for being so ungrateful and for becoming so indifferent to your will and your work. Awaken us to return to our first love and to the first work. Um, Again, like I said, this is all something that I think we're all in just desperate need of at times. To go back, and to, but just to know, not that we need to go back, but that you can go back. Like, that's the whole point of that, uh, of that emphasis there. And even what, you know, Jesus had written to the church of Ephesus, it wasn't that like, yeah, you're doing all this good stuff, but you have this bad thing, and because of this one bad thing, you're disqualified, you're done. And I'm done with you. He never even said that. He said, no, you can return, repent and return to me. If you don't, 
lampstand's gone. But the emphasis of that, and even that quote from Spurgeon is, there is an opportunity to always go back. We need that. Um, and, and the Old Testament, which is what's so cool about this thing, is filled with many stories where you have characters or individuals who maybe started off well, gone south or gotten off track a little bit, but sometimes they, they come back. And I think that's, a, I can speak for myself, that's like the story of my walk with Jesus. Started off really well, good, passion, fire, all that good stuff. And then that dwindled, and then you can get off track, but then you can come back, and then I find myself getting comfortable, and then I'm off track again. And then, but he's so gracious and loving and kind to us where he, he just gently comes alongside of us, usually through the Holy Spirit who resides in us and says, hey, what about us? Let's go back. Let's go back. Just let's go back. This is what happens to Jacob. We, we went through Genesis 34 with this, just this tragedy of a story, story with uh, Dinah, his daughter, who gets, she gets raped. She gets taken advantage by, by this guy, and it's just a horrible monstrosity of a story. But it, if anything, it highlighted, number one, the sin of humanity, because that was like something that was common back then. If you're a young lady walking around in some of these Gentile towns or villages, if you're all by yourself, you're fair game. And that should, that should sicken us, right? That should, that's just like, no, that's not, that's not right. And that, back at this point in time, that was a common practice. So we know, number one, it emphasizes the sinfulness of humanity, how far we have fallen. Um, not much has changed in our world today. Because um, we can look at that and be like, man, those guys, they just didn't... They just didn't know as much as we did. They weren't as civilized as we were. No, they probably were more so than we are. Um, and the same thing happens every single day, even in our country. If you don't, know, if you don't believe that, do any, any study, any research on college campuses. And this is happening all the time, all the time. And it's sad, and it's tragic. And, but that was the highlight there. The other thing that it showed us was just the state and condition of Jacob's heart. This happens to his daughter, and... He does nothing. He doesn't even get emotional about it. I'm not an emotional guy. But if somebody hurts my daughters, oh, I'm losing it. I'm going to lose it. There's, there's just no way. I will be uncontrollable. We don't even get that with Jacob. We don't even get that with him. We get it with his sons, who are her brothers, as they you know, follow in the footsteps of their dad and deceive this, uh, the the perpetrator and his father and get them to convince the whole town to get circumcised. And then when they're in recovery from that, they go and take advantage of that and they murder all the men. All the men take the wives and the children captive, plunder the city, uh, really not really representing the Lord. Um, The one guy should have been punished, absolutely. But you can't kill every man in this village. That's gone too far. That's gone too far. And even Jacob, that's the only thing he gets mad about, was to his sons, he replied, what have you done to me? How dare you do all this stuff, because now they're going to come after me, and now they're going to try to kill me, 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 me. Again, it just highlighted where his heart was. He, he wasn't leading his family. He, he wasn't being the guy that, he, I mean, this banner was placed on him, this cloak, so to speak, was placed on him as the spiritual head of the family. The promise has been passed on to Jacob. Esau didn't want it. Jacob wanted it. And so it's been given over to him. And so now he's, he has this responsibility, not just to make a family, but to lead a family. 
And not just to lead his family, but to lead his family in the way of the Lord, because his family specifically has been called by God to form a nation, purposely and selectively chosen to, you know, as the least of all, to be this tremendous nation that God's going to use, and that the entire world would be blessed by. But Jacob has gotten way off track. He's gotten off course. I mean, he's back in the promised land, and more than likely, around 10 years have passed since he's left Laban's house, and he's in the promised land. He had this amazing encounter with God at this place where Jacob himself named it Bethel, house of God, right? He's got the rock, he's, he's sleeping, and there's this vision, and there's the ladder, and all this stuff. We keep talking about this, but this was pivotal in his life. He saw this thing that nobody else has ever seen. <laughs> nobody else has really ever seen. That was a, a, just a, a tremendous moment within his life. I mean, he's gone from that, and it's like the house of worship, and he, or the house of God, and, and God said, listen, I'm giving you my promise. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. And Jacob even said, listen, if you, man, you bring me back here, I will follow you. I'm all yours. I'm all in. And he forgets all about that promise. God held up on his end, but Jacob did not. And so that's where we find ourselves. That's why you end up with the Genesis 34, because Jacob's not where he's supposed to be. He's not living his life like he's supposed to be. And that is a very sobering reality, and we might not like to hear this, but it needs to be said. Our sins will always affect other people. And if I'm not walking in submission to God and his leading, that can have a direct effect on my family. Now, I praise God for the times he has protected my family because of my stupidity or my stubbornness or my pride or my arrogance, thinking I know better than he does. Surprise, surprise, that's sometimes how I think, okay? I don't, that you may think less of me, and that's totally fine because I'm a normal human being, okay? I praise God for the moments he has not only protected me, but he has watched out for my family because of my issues. But Jacob I mean, he moves to Shechem. He sets up his camp with the door facing Shechem. I mean, that's literally what it says. He sets up his tents where they are facing Shechem, and Shechem is a bad town. You need to turn the other way where Bethel is. In fact, why are you even at Shechem, Jacob? God didn't tell you to go to Shechem. He told you to go back to Bethel. Remember the ladder? Remember the altar that you built? Remember that moment? Remember from where you have fallen and return. Go back to Bethel. So you have this story. It, it's, it's just heartache. It's tragedy. I feel, man, for Diana, I just, my heart breaks for this. Young girl, she's probably like 15 years old in that story. Probably about 15. Anywhere, some estimates are like 13 to 15, maybe a little older. Maybe. But just when you think like, man, it, well, then that's it, right? Like, I've blown it. I messed up. I mean, look what's happened to my family. It's over. Sometimes in those moments when God shows up in your life and he whispers that, that, that sweet reminder to you, and that's what Genesis, look at the 35 verse 1. We have this tragedy. We have this heartache. We have all this stuff. Then God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. He's like, hey, Jacob, Remember? Remember the deal we had? Remember the moment we had? You remember when I showed up in your life? Do you remember how that changed you? Do you remember that moment? 
Jacob, take a look around you. Look at your circumstances. Look at your circumstances. Your two sons have gone off and slaughtered all these people. Your daughter is hurt. You've lost for sure the respect of some of your siblings, and we're going to see that in this next chapter, or some of your children. Look at your surroundings, buddy. It's time to go back. It's time to go back. I love it that that God doesn't show up and he doesn't say, hey, Jacob, um, listen, man, I'm sorry to tell you this, uh, but you've blown it, and I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I find it fascinating. You can read through the entire Bible, and you're not really going to see hardly any of those conversations ever happen where God has chosen individuals and he's going to use these individuals. And even though some of these individuals are absolutely, completely just as stubborn as can be, as prideful as can be, God will still use them. And he never throws them away. Classic example, read the book of Jonah. That dude was messed up. That guy had issues. He had problems. Hate problems. He hated the Ninevites. Hated them. I mean, this was like... I mean, bad. So much so that he's going he's gonna to disobey God so that he doesn't have to even talk to these people. That's how much he hated them. And he tries to run away. God's like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. I'm going to make this whole story. I'm not going to teach it in children's ministry, but no adults are ever going to really believe this story. In fact, people are going to criticize this like you wouldn't even believe, but it's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. I will make a fish big enough to swallow you, Jacob, or Jonah, I'm going to do it. And that's what happens. And I believe that literally happened. I believe it literally happened because that dude got puked up on the beach. And you know he was messed up from being inside that, that fish's stomachs and all the acids. And he's got no more hair. His skin's probably bleached white. And you, yeah, watch that guy who's probably bar- barely wearing any clothes at all. Another just like weird visual for the Ninevites of like, what is going on here? What is this performance art? Like, what is, what is this? And he only told them, I mean, his message was only eight words long. And essentially, it was this. Listen, if you don't repent, God's going to wipe you out, period, done. He didn't even tell them how to repent. He didn't even explain anything to them. He hated them that much. And God used them to to bring about one of the greatest and biggest revivals known to mankind in the Ninevites. And even at the end of the story, Jonah is throwing a fit because people got saved. And God should have just squashed them. Should have just squashed the dude. I mean, how, how bad of an attitude can you have? But what did God do? He made a plant grow up. He gave him some shade. He sent a bug. He ate that. He, 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 never stopped, he never stopped caring about Jonah. He never gave up on him. Jacob. Jacob's not doing what he's supposed to do. Jacob hasn't made the right decisions in his life. He hasn't dealt with issues in his family like he should have. And it's caused all these, issue, and it's caused all these other issues to happen. And here God shows up and he says, hey, Jacob... It's time to go back. Remember Bethel? Remember that moment? You need to get back to there, Jacob. You need to get back to there. So an encouragement for all of us, regardless of wherever you're at, maybe you're at Bethel, quote unquote, good. Stay there. Worship there. You know, only move from there if God tells you to move from there, so to speak, which that's going to happen in Jacob's life. But if you find yourself away from there, if you find yourself sitting at the the entrance, the gate to Shechem, it's time to relocate, relocate, get back to Bethel, get back to the house of God, and let him remind you of what he's already said, right? That's why we teach from the word. We don't need a new revelation. We have all this, all this 
good stuff in the revelation he's already given us. I don't need new ones. I just need to remember what he's already said. Jacob needed to remember what, he, what he's already said. So arise, go back up to Bethel and dwell there. Dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of, your, of Esau, your brother. Verse 2. Here's what's really cool. This is one of my favorite. This has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's full of sadness as well, because we'll get there. But I love this interaction between Jacob and God. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. So immediately we know, here's what's going on in this family's life. There's an issue that hasn't been addressed. We know it was there if we remember because when Jacob and his family fled from Laban, his Jacob's wife, Rachel, stole her dad's gods and hid them, right? And then Laban's all upset. He doesn't care that his daughters are gone. He doesn't care that his grandchildren are gone. He doesn't care about any of that. He is so upset that somebody stole his gods, which again, it's like, if someone can steal your gods, get new gods, get the God, G-O-D, capital G-O-D, like, Nobody should be able to steal your gods. They shouldn't. But Laban's, he's so upset about this, and he goes, and, and he's searching through, and Rachel's like, listen, Dad, I'm sorry, but it's my time of the month, and I can't stand up. I can't greet you. And he's like, all right, I'm sorry. I'll just keep moving, right? And he didn't find them. They never did anything with those idols. In fact, those idols may have, may have been set up on the, you know, the little fireplace mantle in their house. They probably were out in the open. And there's Jacob every single day, for 10 years, fully aware of those idols, fully aware of those idols, and should have dealt, he should have done something with those. Now, I'm not going to beat up on him too much because, I mean, this guy, I, listen, I, I find the more that I study Jacob, the more I find I'm a lot like him, and that's encouraging and discouraging all at the same time, where I'm like, oh, man, um, yeah, this is like my life, it feels like at times. But he knows about this stuff. And what I love about this interaction is God says nothing about the idols, nothing about the idols. All God tells Jacob is, go back to Bethel, go back to Bethel. Jacob finally steps up. Something was pricked in his heart where he finally wakes up and says, okay, something's not right. Family meeting. We're having a family meeting. This is a mess. We need to fix this. God is calling us to go to Bethel, back to the house of God. But internally within our family, something's not right. And I think it's those ugly little carved things that we have in our family. Why do we have those? Why are we bowing down to those things? Why are we doing that? That's not the God we worship. That's not the God who, who we're about. These things are bad. These things are messing up our family. Let's toss them. Let's get them out. It's time to clean house. And I love that, that that was Jacob initiated. That was Jacob initiated, simply based on God lovingly and compassionately showing up in his life and says, hey, Jacob, it's time to go back to the house of God. And that, that sparked revival within his heart and for his family. Sometimes that's all you need, just a little word from the Lord. And revival, revival only happens when we're obedient to God. Let me tell you that because I know, and we pray for revival to happen on this island, and you have to pray for revival, but if you have prayer with no obedience, it's never going to happen. I'm sorry, but it won't happen. Why should it? 
Why would God do something if we're not willing to obey him? Right? There's churches and we are, you know, guys are meeting and we're doing all this stuff and praying for it has to be there. But if it's not followed up with obedience, you might be praying in vain. Right? So there has to be that. And for Jacob, he has this, this interaction with God and that sparks obedience within his life. And he says, okay, nope, time to clean house. Time to clean house. We got to get rid of all this garbage, get rid of all the foreign gods, because they probably have accumulated more than just what they stole from Laban. Time to get rid of all this stuff. We need to purify ourselves. We need to change our garments, our filthy rags, and put on new garments, garments of righteousness. Praise God that when you accept Jesus, that he's the one who clothes you with his righteousness. And it's not really up to you. You can try to be as good as you want to be. You can try to be as good as you want to be, but you're nothing without Jesus, and you're nothing without his garments of righteousness that he places on you. You can't do it. You can't do it. But there are moments where we have to wake up and say, okay, where am I at? What's going on in my life? What have I allowed into my life, into my heart, that has taken the place of God? And if you identify certain things like that, well, then it's time to reposition those within your life because they can be good things. It's not always bad things. They can be good things that just need to be moved down the priority list, so to speak. God should always be number one, always, always number one within our hearts, always. The moment something takes precedence over him, we need to readjust, move that thing down the list. And if it's something that you can live without or you don't need or is bad, then you need to bury it under a tree, okay? And that tree would be the cross, bury it under that thing and just leave it there. Just leave it there. That's what they do. Verse 3, he tells his family, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way in which I've gone. He's acknowledging finally the fact that God has always been with me. He's always been with me. We wouldn't have made it this far if God hadn't have been with us, is what he's telling his family. Now it's time that we go back to worshiping him. It's time, and even for the, I mean, for the, first time that we see this is a family thing. This is like the first time. And that should be an encouragement to all of us because not only is this 10 years into the promised land, but you also have that time spent at Laban's house. That was 20 years total where he's having his kids during that time. So you're talking about a grand total of 30 years have passed in his life. And it's at this moment where Jacob finally wakes up and says, you know what we need to be doing? We need to go to church. We need to worship God. As a family, we've got to do these things. It's never too late. He's 30 years into this thing. It's never too late. It's never too late. Don't let the enemy whisper that lie into your ear saying, listen, you haven't been there in so long. You can't go back. That's nonsense. That's a lie from the enemy himself. You can always come back. And Jacob's like, hey, family, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to follow God. He made the same declaration that, that uh, Joshua is going to make not too, long from, not too far from here. When he's leading the children of Israel, after Moses has passed on, Joshua stands before the children of Israel and says, listen, here's how it's going to go. Me and my family, we're going to serve God. You make the choice. Genesis is the beginning of it all. Not just the Bible, but life as a whole. 
God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you.